Content warning. This conversation includes discussions of anti-indigeneity, colonial and lateral violence, as well as residential schools. Ani, Riley Esno, Nindijnikaz. I'm Riley Esno, and you're listening to Red Surgeon. Thunder Bay. I've once heard it called Gamina Tikaweyak, the place of many berries. I like that one. I grew up in Thunder Bay, a city of about 110,000 nestled onto the coast of Lake Superior. According to recent estimates, the indigenous population in the city could be as high as about 40%. Thunder Bay is eight hours away from Winnipeg, six hours away from Minneapolis, eight hours away from Sault Ste. Marie. It is, in a sense, an island in the middle of the Northwest. It has a unique way of feeling like the only city in the world when you're in it. Thunder Bay has also been a hotspot of media attention in recent years. Podcasts, news bureaus, books, TV series, all turning their eyes to this remote city. Why? First, Thunder Bay is literally a segregated city. Um, As the amalgamation of two smaller townships, you have Fort William to the west, staunchly working class, pickup trucks in most driveways, just a bridge away from the res, Fort William First Nation. To the east, you have Port Arthur. And while poverty is certainly prevalent throughout the city, on this side, you will also see the multi-million dollar waterfront, hipster coffee and soap shops, and uh, big Victorian homes. So take that visual and then add it to the fact that for several years, Thunder Bay held the title of the hate crime capital of Canada, as well as the homicide capital of Canada. Can you guess where that those violences were taking place, who they were taking place against? It also became notorious for a number of poorly investigated deaths of Indigenous youth. The police service has been slammed from inquiries highlighting deep systemic racism The political leadership was found engaging in corruption and cronyism. And in short, Thunder Bay is notorious for its violence, particularly against Indigenous people. As the largest urban centre in northern Ontario, it is an essential place not only for Indigenous people who live there year-round, but for the dozens of remote reserves throughout Treaty 9 and Treaty 3 who need access to, to services, a fact that many people in the city like to blame Thunder Bay's conditions on. I see why it's a great spot for media. It is a never-ending true crime destination. But I think we need to be careful to remember that Indigenous people live here even when the camera crews pack up and the books end. We are here. We are the urban Indigenous experience outside of the Vancouver, Montreal, and Toronto epicenters. On a personal level, my relationship with Thunder Bay is one that has shifted considerably throughout the years. When I was younger, I hated this place. I am sorry to admit. I hated that when I walked back to my car every day from work, I walked past a house with a Confederate flag for a door and that it never seemed to get taken down. I hated the way that cashiers and people at school looked at Indigenous people with disgust, not even trying to hide it. 
I remember the horror of realizing that the middle school I attended was actually a former residential school and that nobody had told us. And all of this I experienced without even being visibly Native. I was already exempted from a lot of the everyday threats that most of my kin are not. I couldn't wait to turn 18 and leave. But now, as I sit in the midst of downtown in Canada's biggest city, I miss the lake. I miss seeing Native people everywhere I go. I miss the Sleeping Giant, a legendary being of Anishinaabe story just outside my window. Going home is now necessary for my spirit, and I realize the place I so badly wanted to escape is the place I'll forever be tied to. To be from Thunder Bay, I think, is to constantly have your heart broken by it, and simultaneously filled by the Indigenous people who refuse to stop working to make life and joy there. Today, I want to talk to other Indigenous young people who live and have lived in the city, queer folks, femmes, natives with different experiences than I. I want to know how their relationship with Thunder Bay has evolved. Has the media attention done anything positive? What is missing from all that attention? What do you notice when you come to those other urban centers? And what more can and is being done to transform Thunder Bay? To talk about that today, I have brought in two of my favorite people. Celine Wick is a queer Métis powerhouse, a PhD student in health sciences at Lakehead. Her work looks at the importance of cultural knowledge and kinship to overall well-being and futurity. I also have my cousin, Andrea Yesno, here, who I'm sure is here on her own accord, not just because she's my cousin and kind of has to. (laughs) Andrea and I are born just a month apart, fun fact, and I would consider her the rock of the family. If you want something done, people in our family go to Andrea. She is an almost RN who just recently moved from Thunder Bay to Sudbury, and she has traveled the country with Indigenous organizations creating programming for youth in Thunder Bay and beyond. Hi, you both. Hi. (laughs) Just the nicest introduction I've ever heard. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) It's all true. I um, am very happy that you're able to be here with me today because I also think this conversation is timely. I was um, thinking about what I was going to do for, you know, the next episode and then the Crave docuseries about um, Thunder Bay um, came out. And I don't know if this is your experience, but I feel like it's like every um, two or so years, like one other big story comes out about Thunder Bay and then like all eyes are on the city. It's everything people are talking about. And then it kind of fades until the next thing comes. Yeah, I, I just I guess I wanted to start by asking. So when I was describing Thunder Bay just a second ago, um, did anything stand out to you or like otherwise put, how do you think um, Thunder Bay has shifted throughout the years? I feel like from the time that we're around the same age, all three of us, I think. And so like um, uh, growing up, I feel like th- that is a very different Thunder Bay than the Thunder Bay that it is now. Yeah, so I'm a couple years older than both of you. I'm like the elder of the group. (laughs) Um, And yeah, so one thing that stood out to me um, when you were speaking, Riley, was that sense of like being heartbroken over and over again. And um, sorry if I cry, but that's just like how it is. Um, Yeah, it's just like constantly like you're in this constant state of grieving. 
And I feel like um, even if you aren't uh, visibly native, it's like you see your kin constantly like in in precarious situations and and grieving and and that sense of like collective grief that I feel like um, non-Indigenous people in our city and in, in, I guess, more broadly in our in our country don't understand that that constant state of grief and and how we still manage to find joy and still manage to um, create beautiful things like throughout this this grief. And so, yeah, that's what that's what really stood out to me. Mm, Yeah. And it's you're right, I think to call it like a never ending grief in that like you, because I mean, as much as there's been increased attention, I, I am skeptical of how much actual change has happened in the city. And so like, if the violence is just continuing, it's this um, period of grieving, but never actually really getting to mourn, like never getting to heal from the last thing before you're also dealing with the new like onslaught. Um, And I wonder also like, like that is a year in health sciences. I feel like this is. <laughs> I feel like that's like the like the making of um, like hyper vigilance and like always being on edge. Um, so I, I, the description of it, yeah, just just feels really resonant to me. Andrea, mm-hmm. what are you thinking? I think I'd have to agree. Um, just the ongoing grief. It's it's really hard when um, it's happening. Just constantly like one event after another i think it's really hard to to grieve and you know move on from from a lot of the things that thunder bay is known for um if events keep constantly happening and there's there's no actual change yeah i wonder for you personally like um i i so i made a point uh, for you both sorry anyone can pick up on this but i was saying how like Thunder Bay I feel like I often call it like a microcosm for the rest of Canada in that like whatever is the problems in all of Canada are like amplified and zeroed in on in Thunder Bay and one of those things that I think is a problem with Canada like writ large is the way that in like you know since maybe I don't know 2015 2007 maybe some could argue like conversations about Indigenous affairs has, like, increased exponentially, taken up way more space in public discourse. Um, But, and that's kind of the end of it, right? Like, we'll do, like, like Thunder Bay or Canada and Thunder Bay is really good at, like, recognition. So, like, um, they'll say, you know, like, we could have, like, a Wake the Giant saying that we want to be supportive. (laughs) And, like, all of those things, which aren't in and of themselves inherently bad, except for the fact that, like, I think what is actually the problem in Thunder Bay is like a deep structural issue um, that those things don't meaningfully address. Um, I don't know. How do you guys feel about that? Yeah, um, that's something definitely that I've been thinking about because it it comes to a point where there's like so many well-meaning white people um, who think because of their proximity to us as Native people, like we're living close together, they um, they too are implicated in these stories, right, that are about Thunder Bay. And so sometimes they think that their proximity makes them perhaps like an expert on our experience. And so that kind of ties into these like empty gestures of reconciliation or recognition. Um, and then I have to be, or other native people have to be like the angry native people who are like, 
you know, perhaps this is not getting us anywhere. Perhaps you need to like give up the mic and, and let other people tell you what we need rather than deciding that this perhaps empty gesture is, is not doing what you think it's doing. Yeah. That a different type of burden in a way. It's funny that you mentioned that because like white allyship was like my next sort of question. (laughs) Andrea, what do you think about that? Um, I think that there's definitely a lot of tokenism in Thunder Bay specifically. Like I've experienced like so much of that growing up um, with specific jobs and just being like, you know, coworkers, having coworkers that are doing like the day-to-day tasks and then they want me at the front, you know, wearing my beaded earrings or having my braids. And it's just like, I feel like it definitely is a lot of tokenism, like within all of Thunder Bay and like all aspects. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I'd have to agree with Celine with just saying like, you know, there is definitely a lot of allies in Thunder Bay as well. Um, but at the same time, you know, sometimes it's better for them to just kind of take a step back and let other people have, have the mic or, you know, hold the space as well. Yeah. I, I, um, I remember recently I took, both of you would know my partner, Mel. Um, I took Mel to Thunder Bay for the first time, um, a couple years ago now. And like, they were like, uh, they were like, this is like a weird dissonance, Riley, because like, I've heard all of the stories that you tell about like growing up there and all of those things. But like, all these people have like their Every Child Matter shirts in the windows and like all of these things. You would think that this is like the most progressive city in, in the country by the way that like a lot of people are able to posture about it. Um, but like we're all talking here about just the way that it's like, again, ongoing violence. And so I'm like, how does Thunder Bay do that in a way? You know? Like I'm trying to, I'm trying to get into the the white Thunder Bay person's mind here, and I I feel like um, because I, I do believe that like the person with the Every Child Matter shirt in their in their lawn, I also can't trust them to say that like, oh yeah, the Thunder Bay police is racist, right? Um, so like it, these in a way also there's like. Um, this added precarity in that, like, you can't trust what's in front of you there. Um, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Like, what do you think about that? Yeah. So I think that that, for me, in my experience, has been really difficult um, because in a lot of spaces, white people see me as being white. Or if they see me as being Native, they see me as, like, quote, one of the good ones, right? Like, one that's that's more palatable for them until I open my mouth and then it's that's out the window, right? <laughs> Um, because I am scrappy and because I have, um, safety and because I have so much privilege, I feel like it's my responsibility to my kin to be like more outspoken because it's less dangerous for me. Um, and so I think too, like it can be really dangerous in terms of like who you decide to befriend. And so I think that there's like certain phrases or certain things that I'll say to try and like see what people's level of understanding is and what people's level of like critical thought is. Um, Because a lot of times, like if you don't have that every child matters sign in your lawn, then you're automatically seen as like being racist or whatever. When in fact, like that doesn't necessarily, like you said, correlate to actually being um, or actually loving us as a people, right? Like actually seeing us as, as um, uh, like friends and neighbors and coworkers and, and people on our own. Um, rather than something to try and like fix and and save and fix the solution. Right. So 
Yeah, that's something that I've come across in all aspects of my life, like work, school, like these these people who are are trying to signal as their um, as though they're allies as a way to sort of like um, get rid of their their white guilt. And I understand that that's like difficult to sit with, right? Like I'm a mixed person, and so I understand that like it, it can be difficult to to understand like your social location and and how you as a person impact other people, but um, I think it's necessary. And I think that like having a Canada flag next to your every child matters flag, it, it, I don't understand how you do that. Right. Like, I don't understand how, how you can sit with, with both of those things. Right. So. Yeah, no, I agree. And on a separate note, I would love to hear what, what you use for my own benefit of the the things you tell to ask white people to see <laughs> if they're sus or not. <laughs> Andrea, what do you think? Like, I don't, um, I think uh, one of the things I think is really interesting about you and I um, in terms of like, I think we had, though, again, we're from the same family. We grew up on the same side of town. We went to the same high school. But I, I still know that our experiences growing up in Thunder Bay are, are very different. Um, and like, so I, I want to know, yeah, how have you and you so also not to if you don't want me to say this, we can edit this out afterwards. But um, when you were recently visiting me in Toronto, I asked you if you were planning on going back to Thunder Bay anytime soon. And you were like, absolutely not. <laughs> and I was like, respect. OK, like I can get that. Um, but uh, do you want to like kind of, um, I don't know, talk a little bit about those feelings or like your experiences and like what brings you to that place? Your distant cousin, your second cousin. And I'm like, no, no, she's my first cousin. Like <laughs> her dad's my uncle. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, real deal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, um, but, but yeah, it was almost like nobody really kind of, I guess, just based on, you know, visuals were like, okay, yeah, they're definitely first cousins. Um, so like growing up and being visibly native, um, was difficult for, I'd have to say my identity, uh, growing up in Thunder Bay. Um, a lot of the time you would never catch me with beaded earrings. You would never catch me wearing braids. It was just like a lot. I would say that I was probably ashamed growing up about my, um, about being indigenous in, in Thunder Bay, because a lot of what I experienced was not good. Um, and there was a lot of racism that I experienced myself and being one of like the older siblings in my family, I kind of felt protective of like all of my younger siblings and my cousins and like just my family in general. So um, like growing up, I didn't really want to, you know, shout from the mountains like I'm not on top Mount McKay, I'm native. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, so it, it was really a struggle. I'd have to say growing up and, you know, being visibly native in Thunder Bay and, um, going through the school system there. Um, but that being said, I also don't have the same experience of those coming from, you know, Northern flying reserves because I had the privilege of growing up in Thunder Bay with my family being present in the city as well. So I had, I had like the support of my, of my mom. I have the support of like my grandparents who were like going in and out of town. Like I definitely had a lot of family in Thunder Bay as well. So that 
I would say is definitely a privilege that I had growing up in Thunder Bay. And um, that experience is, is definitely different from somebody who, you know, grew up in the res and then came to Thunder Bay for the first time in high school. Um, but I would say I probably didn't start admitting to being Native and actually you know, um, stepping into the role that I'm in now with like, you know, grassroots organizations and programming and all of that until I was probably in grade 11, um, or grade 12 even. Um, and it wasn't until then where I'm just like, okay, I see that there's other people like me. I, I know my experience and, um, I know that there's a lot of work to be done. And so at that point, I was just like, okay, I'm an older sister. I, you know, I have family in Thunder Bay and I feel like that I have a responsibility to kind of, you know, help other people who might be in the same situation and just kind of be that person that they can look to and be like, hey, she's just like me, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, thank you for that. And I and also thank you for bringing up like that. Yeah, I I was glad to bring all like the three of us together. But that also like um, the in that like I was intentionally looking to see that we all had like very different experiences living in the city. But that at the same time, like Thunder Bay is like a, a huge community of indigenous people and like the experience of indigenous people in that city I think can often get like really all like lumped together under this umbrella of like victimization um, and ignore the like levels um, and and experiences within that and you brought up like what is a huge one Andrea of like people coming from the res by themselves often at like 13 years old and like for anybody who's read the book say like Seven Fallen Feathers that's like a you know a, a good read telling of like what that um, experience is like. And so, um, yeah, these are, uh, it's good to remember, uh, I guess, like all of the fragments of it all. Um, I was wondering though, like, so I, I we talked a little bit now about our experiences in Thunder Bay. And like, I know uh, both of you, like, Andrea, you're now in Sudbury. You come down to Toronto. Celine, and, or Celine, I know you come to, like, Toronto and uh, to do work and conferences and stuff like that sometimes, too. And, like, I don't know about you, but, like, when I first moved to Toronto, it was so weird to me <laughs> because like um of course like uh toronto is like uh, one of the biggest urban centers for indigenous people in the country but you wouldn't know it necessarily by like walking down the streets and in thunder bay you know it right like you see our presence everywhere in a way that you don't see it in toronto and i just i wonder um if you have any ref either if you have any reflections on that and also just about like um, the way that I think visibility is unique um, in the Thunder Bay urban context as opposed to an urban context anywhere else, like where um, there's so much diversity that Indigenous people can very easily become invisibilized. Um, it's both, I think, a gift and a vulnerability that Indigenous people in Thunder Bay would have. Um, does that relate? Has anybody else felt the Toronto blues? <laughs> I can just keep going first if that's okay. All right. Um, so yeah, so I recently was in Ottawa for a conference and it was for um, like a native conference. And it was so interesting to like be on the street and not be able to see like every few people be like a native person and you like kind of nod and smile at them or like make a joke and that kind of thing. Like 
I feel like that is one of the most beautiful things about living in Thunder Bay is like the kind of like kinship and like the, the, the just like the, the small interactions with other native people that like you don't know that are just like in public spaces, like laughing with an auntie when you're like in line buying something or somebody like complimenting your earrings, that kind of thing. Right. Like it's, it's, it's kind of special, right? Like it's, it's so beautiful. And, and to see that, um, like, even though some people might not see me as being visibly native, like, my people still recognize me, right? Like, the the older people will still try to, like, speak to me in a shop I moan, and then it's really embarrassing when I can't, when I can't <laughs> respond. <laughs> and it's real shameful. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think that that is one of the, the best things about living in Thunder Bay is feeling like you're part of this really incredible like family almost, right? Like this really big extended family. So that's what I really love about Thunder Bay. On the flip side, like it, I have lived like near Amshnong, um, in Sarnia. And that was kind of like a similar situation in terms of like, um, like sort of like the socioeconomic situation, um, different like groups together, that kind of thing. Um, so that was kind of similar to Thunder Bay in that experience. Um, but when I visit Toronto, I try my absolute best to like meet up with other native youth because it can be like, you kind of like get swallowed up and you're not able to like feel seen in the same way. I don't think like you don't have that sense of, um, like community and kinship that is so commonplace in Thunder Bay, I think. Um, so yeah, it's, it's both like a, a, a blessing and and sometimes like can be dangerous or difficult as well. I agree. I'm like, I think you're right too to speak to like the you you obviously can find indigenous community in Toronto, but there's a level of deliberacy that has to go into it that like was so wild. <laughs> Just going off of that, like. Um, I, I'd have to agree as well, because like, I'm not going to find a cousin on the TTC, um, <laughs> <laughs> but like, I'll go out to the grocery store and then I'll have someone tapping my back or being like, um, or being like, Hey, I know your mom or Hey, I know your dad, <laughs> or you look just like your dad. <laughs> and like, I'm like, who are you? <laughs> so like, it's not the same in that sense. Um, and it's really nice going and back to Thunder Bay to visit for that kind of familiarity and just knowing that like you look around and you see somebody who looks like you or you see you know you're running into family who are there for medical because all of the time Thunder Bay is like <laughs> Thunder Bay is like the hub for like all of the where people for medical are sent out either Thunder Bay or Sioux Lookout but but yeah I'll have a lot of family just randomly in Thunder Bay for for medical appointments or whatnot and then they'll be like hey i haven't seen you in so long like how have you been and it's just like when did you get off the res <laughs> so like um yeah i i really miss that about thunder bay and that's like one of my favorite things but um but yeah i i have yet to see a cousin on the ttc or an <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh i'm like yeah, I, I think like one of the things about uh, Thunder Bay, too, that I really love about it, since we're on the roll of talking about things we really love about Thunder Bay, which is is a great turn for me, um, is I I love the way uh, that um, like 
I think because like people think of of Thunder Bay in like uh, such a, a negative light, um, and they all, and like can often focus on on just those aspects of it. They miss that like like young people, especially in Thunder Bay, and some elders have been at it, and aunties have been at it for a long time. But they are like. Um, they're doing a lot of some of the same programming that I've seen happen in Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver, and doing it on like zero dollars um, for like, uh, you know, decades now based entirely on like just like the sheer like love and force of will and like passion that is um, in, in my experience unmatched. And I think in a lot of ways, like, uh, I've I've gotten in conversations in in Toronto and maybe this is just because I've been talking to the wrong groups but like I'll have like people are like well I didn't get the grant and so like it just can't happen now type thing and um what I love about Thunder Bay and similar Winnipeg gives me similar vibes sometimes too is that like native people there um are not waiting for um uh or or not like reliant in the same way maybe on like these um institutional helps and supports because for so long we've been isolated and not have that we we create all of it ourselves from nothing um and that is is something i think is is really beautiful also about the city Yeah, if I could just um, speak a little bit to that. So my family is from a Rotolance community near Lestock, Saskatchewan. Um, and so I lovingly call my family like ditch or like having this like kind of scrappy nature. And I think that that is one of the most beautiful things, like you said about Thunder Bay. It's like, perhaps we've been forgotten, you know, by by the rest of the country in, in a lot of sense, right? Like, and so we've just had to make something out of nothing. And I think that that is one of the most incredible things about Indigenous people is like our adaptability um, and our our love for each other and our love for the people who are who are yet to come, right? Like we're trying to make a better life, not only for ourselves, but for like so far in the future, we can't even conceive of it, right? So it's, it's that that keeps me going and that, it's what keeps a lot of people going, I think, right? When things get bleak, you were just like, okay, well, my great-great-grandma somehow put one foot in front of the other so I can do the same thing and try and make things, like, just a little bit better. Yeah. for Like, Indigenous people are people that are always, I think, uh, like like we're often looked at as if we're like stuck in the past type of way. But like, I always, I'm like, we are the most adaptable people out there. <laughs> like every fact, every, everything goes against that, that image that somehow some people create. So yeah, I, I, I echo. Yeah. hundred percent. Like, like myself, because I am an auntie, I have a niece and a nephew. I'm like, Oh my God, I would do anything for them. I want them to grow up, you know, being proud that they're native. You know what I mean? Because I didn't get that. Um, I want them to, you know, have different experiences than I did. And, um, and I think that's a huge thing about, about us as people as well, like indigenous people is just, you know, doing it for the next generation and looking ahead, looking forward and, um, just always having that that forward lens I think yeah I so I'm like I know we'll come we're coming up to the hour too in the last 10 minutes um I we can go longer if you want to doesn't matter to me but I know you're both out doing things um I I wonder then maybe I'm like that's on that spirit of forward looking how if we have any reflections about like 
how like has that media attention done anything like has it translated into um substantial things that make the future better for indigenous people yet to come and it doesn't and you don't have to necessarily like focus on on the media itself i just think that a lot of people would be under the impression that with so many eyes like looking to hold thunder bay to account that surely something had changed um in a in a really transformative way um but i often find myself like just astounded by by like how little i think has has happened um and so like rather than also ruminating on that there is also room i think to say like what uh, what needs to be done? Um, what? How can the <laughs> all of those lovely white allies like show up for <laughs> for people in Thunder Bay better? And how do we continue to show up for ourselves um, in ways that I think are are inspiring and need to be supported more? Um, yeah. So I think that, in my opinion, I don't think the media attention on such a large and national scale has made any kind of measurable progress, in my opinion, for, for the the lives and well-being of Native people in Thunder Bay and more broadly, you know. Um, I respect and um, have so much love and gratitude for the people who have shared their stories and who have shared their family stories. Um, but I just wonder, I just wonder what, white people feel as their responsibility, right? When we when we hear stories, like in terms of like, what are the ethics of when you hear a story, you now have that story to carry. And that kind of is supposed to change how you how you live your life, right? Like you now have that responsibility of, of what you've learned. And I'm not sure that that's necessarily coming across or being um, internalized and actualized by, by white people, sorry. And so, yeah, I just wonder, I wonder... I wonder what what that's doing to Native people to have to constantly tell our stories and having it not materialize into anything that's improving our state of being, right? So in terms of forward thinking, I think perhaps we need to support more at grassroots level, right? Like what you were saying, Andrea. It, these are those community organizations that are already existing. We're already operating on shoestring budgets or literally zero dollars, right? It's the auntie that's that's making soup and passing it out on the street or, um, you know, just trying to hand out mitts and, and hats and keep people warm. It's not... Um, it's not this this large thing that, that we need the whole, the whole nation to pay attention, right? Like... I don't think that we need to be under this microscope because I don't see tangible improvements from that. And and really, I find that from my experience, it, it's actually doing harm um, to constantly have to relive these these griefs. Right. Like it's constantly in our faces. It's constantly we're constantly asked uh, our opinion. We're constantly being um, asked for comment on it and and. That's not what I want to spend my my life's purpose on, right? Like that that's not what I want to exert all of my energy on. Um, and so yeah, I just think that perhaps uh, non-native people need to uh, listen, um, listen to people who are already willing to tell their stories. Um, be in places where you're getting the story from the person themselves. 
um, but in a good and respectful way. And then, and then think about how you can, how you can live with that story, right? Think about how that story is going to change you as a person. I think that was incoherent, but (laughs) very coherent. (laughs) I think, um, uh, it reminds me of a tweet, uh, uh, Sam McPherson um, put on uh, put on Twitter like a bunch of years ago that like I still think about and rattles around up here about um, like um, like we are not your learning lesson Canada like Thunder Bay why is it like that it's like um, and I've made the mistake too being like we've learned nothing and it's like but we're also not a learning lesson and that is something uh, that I think uh, came along with a lot of that storytelling for a broader audience was that they were just trying to to kind of like wow I learned how bad racism is in in some places you know Um, and it stopped there yeah and and I've heard from a lot of elders and um, like older people that having to retell like in the context of residential schools having to retell that story constantly they're not able to to sit and go through their own grieving process right and yes yes it is a learning but why are we having to like set ourselves on fire to keep other people warm right like why are we having to harm ourselves so that people learn when the facts are there people who who have told their stories those stories are available let's stop uh you know mining people for their stories. Yeah, just on that, like, I think the media has been, like, important for us as Indigenous people in Thunder Bay, just in the sense that, you know, we're being seen and our voices are being heard on that larger level. Um, But at the same time, it doesn't really give the give us the best reputation, Um, like saying, like, oh, I'm from Thunder Bay. It's like, oh, you're from Thunder Bay. Like, you grew up in Thunder Bay. Like, like, oh, like, it's just like a taboo thing to say. And like, I don't like when people ask like where I'm from, it's just like, oh, I'm Thunder Bay. And it's just like this shocked look, like, no way you've experienced so much in Thunder Bay. It's just all these racist people and all of these things that you're going through. But um, yeah, I mean, I think it's important for, for us to be in the media in the sense that it does give us the exposure and like the sense that we're being seen. Cause a lot of us who are doing the work or, you know, um, say if it was a younger person watching the media and being like, okay, this is what I'm seeing in Thunder Bay. And this is similar to my experience. And they're just get that sense of like, okay, I'm being seen. They know that I'm going through this. And, you know, just in that, in, in that way. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I think if you're able to, uh, like use it in such a way that it can bring material things to the right people. And then also like, I know that, um, like one of the other things like about uh, storytelling that I've heard from folks, of course, is that like um, when you have a story like locked in, that is also something that can eat at you. But like I I think there's so then maybe it's the question of like there's like a balance. And I worry that like we tip too far into the like now like rehashing um, area. And but I wonder also if um, like for in my experience, too, uh like there's one thing about like making broader Canada aware of what's happening in Thunder Bay and like looking t- and, and calling for justice from like wherever they are. And that like that's a great thing, especially for such an isolated city. But for the actual white people in Thunder Bay, like 
they know it's racist. They they been know it's racist and like are the ones that like do the racism in so, in every case, right? And so like I think also what has happened there is that in many cases, rather than illuminating anything that they didn't already know, it sends them into this like real place of defensiveness um, that only exacerbates a lot of the harm that Indigenous people can face because then they look um, and blame Indigenous people for experiencing the racism as giving them a bad reputation or giving them a bad name, like the white people in Thunder Bay itself, right? Specifically, I think that Thunder Bay is is looked at for, like, having violence as a separate thing. Um, and so, like, I, I wonder then, like, I don't... And, and so, to say my opinion, I just don't think that... Uh, like media is necessarily the way to un- underwrite white entitlement in the city. I think that that is um, maybe a separate project that I've yet to see um, done in an effective way. Uh, yeah. What do you do? You folks agree? Yeah, I agree. And I think that that brings up a great point in terms of um, like how white people see the media. Uh, attention. And I think in a lot of cases, it becomes a sort of othering thing, right? Like racism is this big um, thing that exists in, or specifically anti-Indigenous racism that exists in Thunder Bay, but it is separate from them as people, right? They're not looking inward and saying, okay, yes, I did uh, cruise around in specific areas where Native women are and throw things out my window in high school. You know, a lot of us know many people who did that like as a as a hobby, you know, and it's not just a specific isolated incident. And so rather than taking the time to, to reflect and look inwards as to how you are contributing or how you're complicit in that system, it becomes this like, OK, well, yes, that's so bad, but that's separate from what I am doing in my daily life. Yeah, I um, I'm trying to think about uh, I'm like, how do how do you beat entitlement? I (laughs) a small question. Um, And like, I think uh, the only thing I can say, like in a a very abstract way, um, is that like we've talked a lot about here. I think we've like provided an answer in one sort of roundabout way, which is that like um, this idea that like you are somehow separate from the environment that you live in, that you are somehow separate from like the experiences of the people that are your neighbors. Like that's an individualist settler colonial logic. Right. And we've talked about um, how how much even when things aren't happening to us that when they're happening to others, we still feel the pain that we feel obligations to the people around us and the next generations. And so like there is like also um, underwritten, I think, throughout this whole conversation this clear um, uh, settler colonial logic versus a collectivist indigenous logic um, or ethic that uh, is uh, at, at a heads here um, and that I I don't know how um, how to bring bring people into that like um, and, and so yeah maybe there isn't uh, necessarily a perfect solution, but is something uh, to just, I guess, highlight that says that um, 
that there is that life living in Thunder Bay, that collectivist, I think, really beautiful way of being. And that at the same time, uh, maybe the solutions and the attention that we've gotten so far aren't the best way to expand that. So, um, yeah, I don't know. That's kind of like where I've some of the big things I've taken out of this conversation. Is there anything else like folks are, are sitting with as we as we come to like the beginning of our close of talking about Thunder Bay? Yeah, I just wanted to express my gratitude for, like, the relationships I have with Native women and Native femmes and Native queer people in Thunder Bay, because those relationships have been so life-sustaining for me, and and just to be able to be cared for in that way. And so I think that perhaps another, like, prong to that solution would be, like, focusing on your relationships, not just, like, non-Indigenous people focusing on relationship building, Um, But also Indigenous people turning to those relationships for strength and for the ability to, to keep surviving and to keep thriving. So good. Andrea, what are you thinking? (laughs) I, I am on the same wavelength as Celine. Um, Just, yeah, just the gratitude that I have for the people in Thunder Bay and all of the work that that they're doing and um, just the relationships that not only that I've built that I can see around me because, you know, walking into somewhere and, you know, seeing all of these people who kind of look like me or all of these natives, you know, coming for whatever reason or just, you know, living in Thunder Bay. Um, I see those relationships and it just kind of makes my heart warm. It, it's like, it's super nice. Like I'll have random kids come up to me and be like you look like my auntie (laughs) and like and I kind of love that and I'm like wow (laughs) but but yeah for sure just the relationships it really helps with a lot of burnout that comes with doing the work or you know um actually being in those type of situations and dealing with the grief and you know the ongoing media attention I think it's really it really helps with the burnout and then just continuing on the path Mm. Yeah, miigwech. I am grateful for you both. <laughs> <laughs>